A good financial plan can make all the difference between having a life with financial security or financial worry. But most people find financial planning challenging or boring or something that's too much of a mental overload and can be dealt with later. Even when people know that financial planning is important, they often can't afford it. Private money advisors are typically a luxury enjoyed by high net worth individuals. For the broader population, robo-advisory platforms are certainly providing an affordable way for investing money and meeting financial goals. But even these platforms do not necessarily provide customized financial advice. Pefin is the world's first AI-driven financial planning and advice platform that is attempting to address this gap. Pefin uses AI technology to understand a consumer's complete financial situation, including their goals such as buying a home, having kids, sending them to college, as well as their current spending patterns, their debt and investments, the economy, markets, social security rules, federal and state taxes, and much more. From there, Pefin generates a complete financial summary, including advice on how to improve financial life on an ongoing basis so that consumers can achieve their goals. Pefin recommends a savings and investment strategy that is completely tailored to the consumer's unique situation and offers portfolio management services to ensure that investments are managed in line with the financial plan. Ramya Joseph is the founder of Pefin. She joins Fintech Daily to talk about how Pefin is making fiduciary financial advice accessible to all. What is the AI behind the platform? and how Pefin differs from human and robo-advisors. The interview also touches upon Ramya's career trajectory and why she transitioned from a successful career on Wall Street to founding Pefin. I really enjoyed talking to Ramya, and I'm sure you'll find her perspectives engaging and informative. All right, Ramya Joseph, you are the founder of Pefin. Welcome to Fintech Daily. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I, we've been reading so much about Pefin and it's so exciting to see, you know, sort of a new investment platform that operates differently from some of the robo-advisors that we have come to know. And so we are super excited to talk to you about that. So before we go into sort of the more details about, you know, the platform and everything, I want to start with a broad question. And that's that in the investing world, one hears the phrase fiduciary advice very commonly. Mm-hmm. But I doubt most people understand what fiduciary advice really is. So what does it mean? So fiduciary in a, in a nutshell is we don't, it's not just about recommending products or advice that is suitable for you right? It is actually recommending what is in your best interest. So a clear distinction would be perhaps an investment portfolio with a certain risk level is suitable for you. But what's actually might be the best advice for you might be to actually not invest at all, right? Depending on other circumstances going in your life. So the fiduciary standard is a very much more draconian in some ways or much more stricter standard to adhere by because you have to look at all of the dimensions that are going on in a, per- in a person's life in order to make a recommendation or a suggestion for them. And are most human advisors that we deal with as individual investors fiduciary advisors? 
It runs a really wide gamut. So when you talk about a human advisor, it's hard because there's no standardization across human advisors, right? So you can end up with someone who's fantastic and is truly a fiduciary and will truly tell you what you need to be doing and what you need to hear. And then on the other spectrum, you have the advisors who are just trying to sell you products, oftentimes products you actually don't need. So it, from a human advisor perspective, you know, just really runs the gamut. When you think about robo-advisors, the ones that focus solely on investing, so, you know, the Betterments or the Wealthfronts, Sigfig, et cetera, who have very limited planning capability, although they say they're a fiduciary, by the fiduciary standard, they're not actual fiduciaries, in my opinion. The reason being, their goal is to get the user to transact. They will never in a million years, tell you, hey, guess what? We're so glad you're here, but based on your circumstances, we actually don't want your money today. We want you to start saving or we want you to pay down debt or we want you to actually put money into a cash account because you need liquidity. So for that reason, for the the simple reason that their goal is to get you to open an investment portfolio without consideration of the other dimensions going on in your life, they meet the suitability standard, but they do not meet the fiduciary standard. So it's a very gray area. Uh, but <laughs> if, in fact, if you kind of read their terms of use, they sometimes, you know, disclaim away a lot of their fiduciary responsibility. But and there's been a lot of uh, legal review in this, you know, the Massachusetts regular state regulators have, have come out with a statement piece on robos. And so without accounting for financial planning and a user's, you know, future goals, future needs in a really comprehensive way, and their entire situation, you really can't say you're a fiduciary, right? Interesting. And it seems like based on how you're describing sort of you know, the role of human advisors and robo-advisors, Peffin fills that gap where you can get like really sound fiduciary advice uh, using artificial intelligence. So how really is Peffin different from you know the things that we have been talking about? So Peffin is very much a platform. And, you know, if you if you were to look at you know, what Peffin does, investing is a very small portion of it, right? What what Betterment and Wealthfront are as companies, we do as a feature, right? It's a very small portion of our overall product offering. The Peffin's core focus is financial planning. So you come into the platform and before we even ask you risk questionnaires or how much you want to invest with us, it's all about do, what do you want to plan for? Do you want to have kids? Do you want to have a ha- buy a house? Do you want to send your children to college, etc.? And f- with each of those financial plans, we use a feed-forward neural network that connects together the user's preferences, demographic data, tax consequences, government and regional rules, their own spending patterns and income behavior to really tell them of these decisions they want to make in their life, what's really affordable. Now, if plans are not affordable, we never suggest investing as a way to get out of it. We actually suggest, you know, making compromises. Would you consider delaying your retirement? Would you consider having your kids pay for a little bit of school or maybe move to a a less expensive neighborhood with good public schools so you can save on private school? So those are the bigger levers that we feel people have in their lives. Then once we have your plans to a point where they're affordable, then we talk about how should you be saving? And oftentimes, depending on the user's upcoming liquidity needs, as well as at this point, their ability to take risk, not just their tolerance for risk, but really what can they stand to lose if things go against them? We advise them to either 
for every dollar you save, do you use it to pay down debt or do you use it to invest? And now when you think about investing, it's across things like 401ks, like tax deferred accounts, right, versus a taxable brokerage. So in many, many situations, we will actually not recommend you open a taxable brokerage with us. But if so, the advice says, hey, actually, you can you have capability to invest in a taxable brokerage. At that point, you can do it with us, but you can also take the advice and completely go somewhere else and say, I'd rather do it at Vanguard or Fidelity or wherever and go do it over there. So it's a, it's a completely different approach to how most service models are operating today. And that's interesting, right? Because, you know, if we talk about uh, most service models, I think the problem that we generally see is one of incentives, Mm. you know, whether it's people working for certain kind of investment companies or even robo advisors, as you mentioned, you know, sometimes they are compensated based on having more transactions. So how does Peffin really address this problem by, you know, giving advice that at this time you should not do this transaction at all? Yeah. So one way is that, you know, we are just, we're a subscription service. So in the direct to consumer market. So, you know, in the in the direct to consumer distribution, it is, you know, right now ten dollars a month. Actually it's free right now, but you know, at a discounted rate of ten dollars a month to access all of the financial planning, all of the tracking, you know, all of the the advisory services. And for on investing, it's you know the first five thousand dollars is invested for free. So if you're just starting off with investing, you really shouldn't be paying fees, right? And anything above that is twenty five basis points. So for us, there's absolutely no tied incentive between taking having access to advice versus the investing side, right? They're they're unrelated. They're two different distinct entities, even in our in our company. So from our, from our perspective, we just believe that, you know, $10 is a very affordable price point for most people. It's cheaper than a Netflix subscription, covers our costs, right? We can't run for free. <laughs> There's a lot of data and a lot of technology that powers us. And it Absolutely. also incentivizes us to, you know, there's no incentive for us to share your data or to not be private. You know, your data is sacrosanct with us and it will not be taken outside of our platform to any third party uh, individual. So that, that makes a lot of sense, right? If you sort of dissociate the compensation from each individual transaction and a commission-based model, I think a lot of these problems can be solved. Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, from a customer standpoint, the other problem that I see with financial planning is just, uh, you know, one of trust. Yeah. You know, like most people don't really understand finances too well. So when it comes about goal-based planning or thinking about, you know, how much money to save, where to invest, when to invest, mm-hmm. it's easier to talk to someone that you know, your family, your friend that you trust mm-hmm. and then make that decision decision accordingly. So what I struggle with sometimes is, you know, as you say that Peffin is this platform, how do interactions between a customer and Peffin look like so that you can build that same level of trust with the consumer? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And I think it really comes down to a, you know, you can have the fanciest models in the world, you know, powering this AI, but if you can't translate it to a user experience that's clean and beautiful, it's not going to actually do well. So we strive, we spend years trying to perfect our UX. And I would say we're still not there. We're never going to really be done, right, with our UX. Just last year, we introduced a chatbot. So it felt really natural to to be able to just speak to Peffin and to not be overwhelmed with numbers and dashboards and numerical analysis. But for those users who really do want to dive deep, all of that data is available for you, right? You can come in and you can keep clicking deeper and deeper and deeper to like, understand our assumptions and how we actually deliver the advice that we 
that we do. And that's something we really spend a lot of effort on is keeping it very simple for those users who absolutely are like, just tell me what to do and I'll just go do it. And the users that are like, but I want to know why, why are you doing this? Now, I think the advantage, you know, of a platform like Peffin is exactly what you just said, is when people are making major financial decisions in their life, right, they want the trust and they want the privacy that comes with maybe sharing it with just household members or sitting at your kitchen table and talking to your spouse or your your children about what's coming up in your financial life, right? And you know, services like Peffin really enable that, right? They give you that insight to go and have conversations with your spouse about, you know, should you, should one of you take time off to to raise a child? What does that mean for you? Can, you know, when is the right age for both of you to retire? What truly is your capacity to save for your child's college? And oftentimes it's, it's embarrassing for people to even go to a financial advisor because we've all made mistakes in our financial decisions, right? Even the, the savviest among us have, have made bad decisions. And, you know, with, with Peffin, there's no judgment, right? Like we don't actually care if you're a spender or a saver. We just know that's who you are. And we won't judge you for buying a latte every day or buying shoes or whatever, right? Like your expenses are your expenses, but we'll show you what this could mean to bigger priorities in your life and, and guide you through making good decisions, right? So it is a challenge for platforms like us to connect with the user. I think we're getting better at it with every release, uh, but yeah. but you're you're absolutely spot on. It's it's a key focus area for us. Um, so just to understand this a bit further, right? So if I'm a consumer and let's say I have a goal that I need to save for a kid, uh, which I'm expecting to have five years from mm-hmm. now, can I just go and type something in like a simple like English sentence into your chatbot and expect like, you know, somebody to respond and say or ask more questions to clarify what the planning or the advice should be like? It's it's similar, but it's not that open-ended, okay? So the chatbot is really meant to guide you. So we may, it's more deterministic. So we may say, hey, what plans are you interested? And then you would like select something on the chat that says a baby. And then we may ask you a few questions, like when are you planning to have the baby five years from now? Where do you live? Okay, I live in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia or whatever, right? And so then you you we say, okay, the cost of raising a child in Philadelphia is going to be like this. This is what daycare would cost. This is what a babysitter would cost, right? And so we aren't doing an open-ended chat right this second. It is something that is slotted for our development. But the first version of chat is very deterministic. And the reason being is that building a good chat service you know, it, it requires a bit of, uh, it's a bit of an art, right? We've all had bad NLP experiences, right? You call a yeah. customer service and the, the thing doesn't understand you and it's really exactly. frustrating. And so, you know, given where we are in our kind of our cycle, we were like, let's throw this chat out there and see if users even like it, <laughs> right? It's like the simplest kind of version. And if the response is favorable, then we'll go ahead and, and invest the effort to a, to a full NLP-based chat. And I think the response has been really good. So I think you can see us kind of focusing on NLP in the in upcoming releases. 
Yeah, like you said, right, with each release, there'll be improvements. And what I really like is what you mentioned about the fact that, you know, this takes away some of the bias and judgment. Uh, Humans can sometimes just resort to judging you for buying something expensive or drinking a latte every every day, like you said. But that does not exist with a computerized platform. No, no. and we make, we strive really, really hard to not pass any judgment, right? So even when we make suggestions like, would you consider sending your children to public school instead of private school? Or would you consider, you know, delaying your retirement? You know, we don't assume private school is a luxury. You know, what if you live in New York? Or what if you have a child with special needs? Or what if your retirement expenses are actually more expensive because you know there are there's illness in your family, right? It's not just you're going to go buy a yacht. So it's it's there's a lot of subtlety in a user's life that simply can't be captured by asking them a million questions or visible through the data. And that's where, you know, UX and nuance and being empathetic to the user comes in. And that's why you have humans, people at the firm actually designing the system, right? As much as we we are AI, it is humans who are designing this AI, real people with the same problems as our users that ultimately decide what the product is going to be like. True. And I think you mentioning AI is a great cue for my next question is, you know, if you go on Peffin's website, if you read about Peffin and social media, it's all about the fact that it's an AI powered platform. But the reality is that AI has become an overused and often abused concept among today's companies. So what really are the kind of algorithms that form the foundation of Peffin's platform? That's an excellent question. So it's a, I mean, AI is completely overused. AI, at the end of the day, I studied AI uh, for my master's and I, I've done quite a bit of AI through my career. AI is basically the intersection of operations research, mathematics, probability, and statistics, right? If you combine those four fields together, you come up with something called AI, right? Yeah, that's a great way of putting yeah. it. So, so we've been, you know, when we first launched the company, first off, I had no idea I'd be using AI to solve this problem. Second of all, for many, many years, we didn't call ourselves AI because people would just get spooked out. They they think, you know, we're like robots or something trying to, you know, steal your money. But it's it, it was, you know, the world wasn't ready for AI, even though what we were doing was AI. We only actually started calling ourselves AI around 2015, even though we've been doing it for quite some time. But powering the under the underlying models is for planning, it is what's called a feed-forward neural network. And what that basically means is you have hundreds of relationships in your life, right? Something as simple as choosing a city in which to live can affect everything from how much you pay for daycare to property taxes to your state taxes to what you'll pay for Medicare premiums to your career prospects, right? So just that one variable has so many connection points. So imagine a user saying, hey, I want to take a job in San Francisco, and I currently live in New York. By using AI, we can instantaneously understand how one variable affects the others, right? And and so neural networks are very, very good at at deciphering these relationships and not making them rules-based, right? They can change and permute and vary over time. Now, where things get really interesting is we use quite a bit of reinforcement learning also in our in our algorithms where certain things, expending and income are learned over time. Because when you first come into the platform, we, we may get 
three to six months of spending history, which is nowhere near, you know, a full picture of a user spending pattern, right? But as you continue to use the platform and as we continue to get more data and as we continue to see you interacting with different parts of the app, we ourselves get smarter and smarter about what kinds of things may you be, would you be interested in learning about or would you be interested in understanding or planning for? How exactly does your spending really affect you, right? If, if every July we see a spending increase because that's when family visits, we don't know, we're not going to go and break all your plans because we're going to know that that's your normal versus my normal might be a spending increase in January, right? So that, that sense, yeah, that sense of seasonality, that pattern is picked up over time. The only way to actually scale this is through technology like AI, right? If you want to just put it out there to tons of people with no human advisors, that's exactly how you do it. You use tech to do it. So Yeah, it makes sense. And, you know, sort of 24-7 on-demand service is what this leads to. And uh, what's something interesting, other thing, something else that was interesting that I found on the PEFIN website was it said that, you know, you analyze up to 5 million data points for each individual mm-hmm. user and update in real time when yeah. things change. And the 5 million number was sort of a bit yeah, daunting yeah. thing to me, right? So what really are these 5 million data points that underlie the algorithms? So you could think of your uh, financial plan as, as a timeline, right? Right? Like you're, you're somewhere today and you're going to be somewhere in the future towards your retirement and beyond, right? So let's say you take your average user that's somewhere in their 30s and we're going to project their entire financial future, you know, taxes, income, spending, assets, liabilities, everything, right, out to the age of 100. Now, each one of those data points at a, at a monthly level, right, is uh, has about 100 different factors that are interacting. What's your income? What are you saving that month? What How does that savings translate into assets? What are you paying down in debt? Are you acquiring new debt, right? Uh, what's your tax situation that year? Uh, if you had a child, it's very different, right, than if you didn't have a child the month before. So all these variables are being pushed forward and propagated through time. So if you just take that multiplicative effect and think of it as like a web but that's like stretched and pulled across a hundred years, these relationships really grow somewhat exponentially, right? And that's how you get to that finally a number. Now it's we say two to five million because it's obviously depends on the complexity of your life. Like if, if you're not yeah. married and you don't have kids, it's a lot <laughs> less complex complex. If you have sure. dependents, it's very different. So that's that's how that works out. And that makes sense. And um, I think I almost know, you know, given the fact that this is such sort of a complex problem you're dealing with with so many data points, uh, there is the, the robustness of the platform becomes pretty evident. Mm-hmm. But I was still surprised that Peffin as a company was founded in 2011, but the platform was ultimately launched in 2017. And that was six years in the making. Yeah. So what really took so long? So AI platforms, as people are finding out, are notoriously difficult to build. <laughs> they're not they're not trivial, you know, they're not apps. The first two years of this company was actually almost two and a half years was spent on infrastructure, data and security. Because at the end of the day, we're processing massive amounts of data and we're doing financial data. So we, you know, up until about 2014, we didn't even have a UI on us. It was all just models and backend and databases and data infrastructure, as well as security infrastructure. So really just, you know, two and a half years went to that. And it really shows in in the final product because what we have is secure. We have 
quite a lot of B2B uh, interest as well as B2B partners and um, where that security matters even more because it's, it's you know, you're dealing with now laws, right, where they're governed by certain regulatory laws, privacy laws, et cetera, in, in, in their uh, local jurisdictions. But in addition to that, you know, it's really allowed us to scale. Like one of the things that we don't worry as much about as other startups is, okay, if we needed to acquire or take on another X thousand customers next year, are we going to have to completely rewrite our infrastructure? And and the answer is no. So that went for two and a half years. And then we went into beta in 2015. And beta was when we really learned what users wanted. You know, when we shipped in beta, all we had was financial planning. We didn't have advice and we did not have investing. So you came in, you did your plans, you were, you found out if they were affordable. That was it, right? And it was through talking to users that we learned that what people really wanted was when they're not affordable, they didn't want to figure it out on their own. They weren't able to kind of like really deep dive and go in and and manipulate numbers, which we knew, but we just wanted to understand how they wanted that. So then the chat interface kind of came to fruition. Then another really surprising area which came about was we at that time we were giving you portfolio guidance. We would say, okay, this is what we think you should be holding in your portfolio. This is the amount, et cetera. But what people came back to us with was, wow, I wish you'd just do it for us. And, <laughs> and in 2015, I had no interest in entering the robo space because it's a commodity product, in my opinion. It's, you know, anybody can build it. Now you see like, Robles or, you know, every major financial institution has one. So I was like, I'm not going to enter that space. It's not really, you know, there's a million of them, go pick one, right? But I I think people have have really kind of been like, I really want a full service model. What's more interesting that's come about is also... um, the kinds of services people want to to have access to. So it's not just simple beta portfolios, but actually more complex investment products. And and so we've brought in like very experienced head of investments product to really amplify our investments offering to to be more tailored and suitable to a more mature marketplace. You know, through since beta, there's you know in two years we built out a robo in house, right, with like three engineers and. And we've built out our entire advice and chat offering. And now there's tremendous interest on how to white label, how to do B2B with this platform. That does make sense, right? Because I think that the thing with commodity products is that you can simplify the user experience, but ultimately, even when words like ETFs or index funds or things like that get thrown around, it can be pretty complicated. Whereas I feel like humans sometimes think about investing in very human terms, right? Like I would like to invest in companies with female CEOs, or I would like to invest in companies that, you know, contribute less to global warming or things like that. And it's really hard to find structured financial products or advice around those things until you make a lot of money. Yes, exactly. So how do you do that? And and how do you balance between passive investing and active investing, right? So these are like the new challenges that we're facing and we're solving for in the in the months ahead. Makes sense. And I think uh, we have discussed a lot about the robo-advisory model in terms of, you know, them being or not being fiduciary about the commoditization and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, off late, we have also been seeing a trend where there are hybrid models where robo-advisors have humans on call to handle sort of more complex and bespoke situations. Right. What are your thoughts on such models? So I think those models are interesting, but they almost always have fairly significant wealth caps, 
right? So I think most robos, and I, and I don't know the exact statistics, but usually you have to have a, you know, AUM or a wealth management minimum of 100K to get that kind of advice, which frankly, not a lot of people outside of New York and San Francisco have. If you were really trying to address problems of many people, the, the bespoke model actually falls apart. It's still it's still only ad- addressing a, a small fraction of, of the market that needs financial advice, right? Then the second thing is with any advisory model, like which involves a human, there is a assumption that the user or the customer knows what questions to ask, right? You know what question to go ask your advisor and therefore they will answer that question. Yeah. What Kevin does really well is it proactively raises the question, right? It, you don't need to come ask us, should I be saving in my 401k next year and how much? Like, we will just tell you this is what you need to be doing. Or when the tax bill passed in 2018, we actually ran that model through our systems and showed each and every customer since this law has passed, here's what we can anticipate your exact tax burden to be next year. Will you save money? Will you lose money? And how much, right? And and those things where we proactively kind of guide you to what you need to know is, is actually something that AI is very good at, right? It's good at sort of perceiving or understanding what kind of user are you and how do I kind of stay one step ahead of your needs, difficult for a, a financial advisor to do, even in the best of cases, even with like the most high net worth type of situations. Yeah, makes sense. So there certainly are limitations to the hybrid models. Mm-hmm. And as you as you discuss, yep. okay, and uh, just sort of going back to something that you t- were talking about, as uh, you talked about the six year journey until the launch of the platform, you did mention a bunch of, you know, like beta testing and things that came out in your research and studies and pilots. So in terms of the organizational structure, you have lived through it all. So what have the interactions between the product development team and the engineering and the data science teams been like, you know, discussions of what's possible, what's not possible? That's a great question. And actually, it's it's so interesting you raise that because actually at a firm like ours, the, the distinctions between the three sort of areas are very blurred, right? I like to say that each one of the people that works here is their own little Venn diagram, right? Product managers can... <laughs> You know, there's product managers who are excellent engineers, right? There are engineers who are excellent data scientists, right? You can't just be a data scientist and be good with the data and not know how to scale your models, right? You have design designers who not only understand, you know, UX, but they understand visual design and they understand user testing and they understand process management and design, right? So I like to think of people here in a startup you have to wear multiple hats, but the hats that people wear here are strongly intersected. A lot of the times when we're thinking about new product, you know, it first of all has to get driven by a business need. People really do interact very closely. Product almost always starts with a business need. And from that business need, then engineering, product, data tend to sit in a room with a whiteboard and really try to hash out over a series of meetings, what is it that we're trying to build? And then it follows a much more agile process where it goes from product engineering to actual development. So it's an interesting process at a startup like ours. But I think also, I, you know, because, you know, I am a founder, but I'm a product-based founder, right? I, I love working on product. And for me, it's sort of our, our core, 
right? If you build out a really good product and focus on your product, it is by definition going to be easier to sell <laughs> than something that is a commodity or, or something someone can build very, very fast. Yeah, it makes sense. And uh, I was also looking over your background and uh, it looks like you were doing algorithmic trading for banks prior to like founding Peffin. So what really was the impetus for you to like sort of shift from that into this space? Actually, I was working at Goldman, at Goldman Sachs as a, as a VP in prop trading during the credit crisis. I had a great job. I, you know, my firm was doing really well. We were in high frequency trading. At that time, my dad lost his job, you know, faced with an unplanned early retirement. And to help him through the situation, I, I started really digging deep into his finances and uh, trying to help him navigate what he needs to be doing in order to 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 secure, you know, his future retirement, right? And it took me weeks to build out this massive spreadsheet. But when I finally, you know, showed it to him and walked him through it, the relief he had was palpable. And that really got me thinking about, you know, how do people who don't have access to financial professionals like me really access the advice they need? And I I come from a very middle-class family. Um, my dad's an engineer, you know, like he's educated, he's smart, but when he comes, when it comes to money, it's hard. It's really hard to navigate all the moving parts. I didn't quit my day job right away. I spent six months really, you know, laying down the foundation of the idea, what I want, really wanted to build, why was this going to be important, tinkering around with it, you know, being an engineer, it's what I do. And it got to a point where, it was no longer going to be like a hobby, right? And I felt that it was a good time to try, just try and see if I could build this. And so I I walked into my manager's office and I resigned and people thought I was absolutely bat nuts crazy (laughs) for resigning from Goldman Sachs, my father included. He was like, what are you trying to do? Um, (laughs) and, And here we are, you know seven years later. And and the funny part is I always told myself, look, if this whole thing fails, you know, I have skills, I'll go back to Wall Street and I'll write out my career there. And I've not looked back. <laughs> so it's it's been great. It's been a very, very, very good journey for for me and for the company. Yeah, that that's really exciting. And it's a really inspiring story, right? Because you you very rarely hear people giving up high paying cushy jobs, especially in the kind of environment you were in sort of the pre credit crisis yeah. thing. And then all of a sudden finding like sort of a family incidence and completely pivoting your career into something that could be very, very useful to millions yeah, of people. And I, and I was on the fence about it for a very long time. It was uh, it was actually a friend of mine who sent me this video from, you know, Jeff Bezos. I don't know if you've ever seen this video, but it's about what he calls the regret minimization framework, right? Yeah, and it was that I, video I because yeah. in there he describes how he talks to his boss at D Shaw about, I have this idea to sell books online. And his boss literally looks at him and says, that's a great idea. Not for you. <laughs> right. And I was like, wow, that's me. That's me right there. Right. So yeah. Yeah. And it's always about like the framework, right? Like 20 years down the line, when you look back at this instance, you want to do something yeah. that you don't regret. And that sort of should chart the territory Absolutely. of what you end up doing. Absolutely. That's, that's great. And that sort of brings me to sort of my final question, right? I think your father was very lucky that he had you, that you could, you know, draw up this amazing spreadsheet for you, uh, for him, and you know, he could have that sigh of relief. And, you know, that's exactly what you are trying to do for other people mm-hmm. through PEFIN now. But it still is the fact that, you know, financial literacy and planning is yeah. boring for most people. It's a mental overload. And 
you know, from a consumer standpoint, how do you even get consumers excited about this space so that they could come to a platform like Peffin and think about their lives a bit more structurally? I, I think this is where having the emphasis on planning comes into to play, right? Let's be honest. Nobody actually wants to deal with money, right? It's There's far more fun things to do, even in my own life. Like, you know, I don't want to be paying bills and dealing with what I spent last month and, uh, and whatever. I have kids. I have, I have a life, right? But when it comes to key financial moments in our life, let's say you're pregnant or you're thinking about going back to grad school or changing jobs, changing locations, buying your first home or, uh, you know, retirement's around the corner or the kid starts kindergarten and suddenly you're like, wow, college is 12 years away and I haven't a single thing saved. It's those moments of where you feel like, wow, I need to understand what's going on. That's where you can really connect with the user because there's this natural curiosity that arises when it comes to a big financial moment, trying to browbeat a user into saying you need to save, or you spend more time on Facebook than you do like managing your (laughs) checking account or whatever that message is, is very, I don't know, slap on the wrist, you know, like no one wants that, but just, you know, having this sort of awareness to say, look, there are so many things that you want to do in your life, but that's going to take a little bit of legwork. And, you know, we're not expecting you to be a financial expert. That's why we're here. Just come in, tell us what your preferences are, and we'll kind of help you navigate through it is a much more refreshing message. And it is challenging for a startup to to say that financial literacy is important. But we actually think that post the credit crisis, people do have a little bit more realization that, credit isn't so easy to get. I do need to be careful about student loans and I do need to be careful about managing my money, especially younger younger people, right? Because they lived through that crisis. And it's a uh, it's, you know, hopefully we bridge that gap through through a series of different moments, but really ad- addressing the the critical need of a customer first is a, a good approach for that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Fascinating. Well, Ramya, this has been great. It was really great to have this conversation with you. Thanks for coming on Fintech Daily. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.